All right, today I want to talk to you about, the, we, we're doing, for those who just arrived in our little fellowship this year, we've, we've taken on the idea of, uh, as we're going through the, our reading program through the Bible, we're taking on the idea of answering some of the big questions of life. And um, so um, we're doing a series on who's in control, who's in control of our lives. And um, today I, I'm going to focus on uh, what's the meaning of my life, what purpose and direction should I take. Um, and I want to just, uh, that's, the, that's the first question, I think, that, and we've got to come to an understanding that uh, God is in control of the meaning of my life because he's the one who created me. To find the meaning, one needs to find the truth. If you can't find the truth, you can't find real meaning. So if there's an assault on truth, if, if truth is being undermined in our society and, and we don't know what true is, well, then you're not going to find out what meaning is. And in fact, if you take truth away and it becomes truthless, it becomes meaningless and purposeless. And that's the general trend now in our society. They have the a thing called the principle of mediocrity, which denies any significance in terms of us. We are just created, or not created, just evolved by chance. We are all creatures of chance, just chance. And that's all it is. There's nothing really significant about us. There's nothing significant about the placement of the earth and where it is in the solar systems. There's nothing significant about anything really. In fact, everything is, has no purpose effect apart from the fact that it just happened to exist or happened to happen and, and it was some great uh, accident that, that made it. And so once you take that notion, your life has become faithless, it has become hopeless and it's become purposeless and it, and it basically becomes loveless because there's no reason or purpose for love. There is no love, really, in sense. It's just you and it's just your emotions. It's just you, you wanting to enjoy yourself and just get about it because eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow you die and that's the end of this horrible, horrible facade. So that without God is, is, is extremely sad. And yet our society is being ridden by that whole idea and, and we are being assaulted by that idea continuously. The idea of the principle of mediocrity. There's nothing really important about it. I've been doing some reading in through, um, through science and, and, and uh, exploring some ideas with regard to uh, apologetics and, and this whole idea of principle of mediocrity has come up in a number of places by uh, philosophers who, and, and, and professors and doctors who are saying that what man really needs to do is just get to grip with it and just accept that, 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 that there's nothing important about us. And if we could get that, we'd get rid of all the religions and all the other nonsense and get on with life. There is no life without God. It's just mere existence. Jesus gives us the life. Amen? That's because Jesus is life. So when I want to know the meaning and purpose and the direction of life... Uh, I have to, uh, and why I've been created, and the direction I should take, if I have been created by God or uh, by God, the God who created me will have the purpose of my life. I mean, he's got the blueprint. If God created me, then he will know why he created me. Uh, one of the things uh, that we, we, we live in our world, um, we live in a, in a world that it's an auto, auto, autonomous world autonomous world where everybody has their own sort of rule you know whatever is your rule auto is self autonomous or autonomous is is the rule or the law so it's the rule of self everybody just rules their own life whatever is your right for phil is right for phil whatever is right for for my brother here is right for bruce 
if it's not right for Bruce and it's right for Phil, that's their choice. You know, it's their own rule. They're ruling their own lives. And that's autonomous. That's what, that's what our society is like now. The other societies are like heteronomous, which are, are like there's a legal dictatorship at the top and it's sort of dictating to you. In a sense, we've got that as well, where the law of the land dictates to us how we should live and it's dictated to by the parliament and by the legislation and stuff like that. So that that's, But generally speaking, when it comes to morals and issues of faith and stuff like that, the, the rule is yours. You get to say. We used to live under a theonomous, which is God's rule where things were evident as they were. You know, you look out and you say, you're a boy because I look at your biology and you're a boy. And you're a girl because I look at your biology and you're a girl. That's the way. Gender was as it was. So the foolishness of meaning now has become such that when we start twisting with origins and twisting with truth, nothing is true anymore. So sexual fluidity, which is the latest thing that's coming across our newspapers, and you may have heard of it, sexual fluidity, it means that it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a boy just because you are decked out like a boy or a girl because you are decked out like a girl. That was how it was under God's rule. God made them male and female. And for a purpose, he made them male and female. But in our society, we've become very smart. We've taken God out and no longer is there male and female. You determine what it should be. You decide. And it's not apparent, you know, for anybody else, because if you want to be a girl, even though you're decked out like a boy, that's your choice and you're right. You can do that. That's autonomous. But if I want to express my view as a believer and express that I don't believe that that's true, then I don't have the right of autonomy in our society. I'm told to shut up and stop being a dog, bigot and dogmatic. That's where it doesn't mix. It's all right if you say the meaningless thing in our society, but if you stand up for what you really believe is true, then they, they say, well, we've changed the rules now. It's not autonomous anymore. We don't want you to say those things. That's hate speech. So you can go to jail for that. So it's, the, that's the latest nonsense. And we've got, you know, where, where you take truth away, then you've got open... It just goes on and on and on. And, and everything that the government tells us, uh, we, we're told to believe. And you look at the newspaper and you read, the, you read it and all of a sudden, all these stuffs come out to us. You know, global warming, we come... And it hasn't globally warmed for 27 years. And we're told, well, it's climate change now. And then they say, you know... And, then, then, and on it goes. It goes on and on. And people are getting really tired now because they're saying, we don't know what is true any longer because everything is changing. Everything is in state of flux. And there is no sense of solid truth or absolute truth any longer. And that's because we have taken God out of the mix. So we want to find meaning for our lives. We really have to go to God. You know, it's like when you, when you look at your watch, and this is an old, old argument in terms of thing. You can look at a watch and if you found a watch and you'd say, well, there's a watch on your arm. The person who created the watch, you know it's been created because, you know, uh, that just didn't fall together. So you say, you assume that there's a creator of the watch. But there's a value and there's a purpose in the creating of the watch. What was the value that the watchmaker had when he was looking at something to mark time? What was he thinking? He was thinking that there's value in marking time. That time is valuable and that if I had something that could mark time and measure time, and I could look at it and say where I am in time, that would be valuable. So there was a purpose and a meaning and a direction that he took when he came to 
create a watch to create something that was of value, something that had purpose and meaning. And if that was the same for a watchmaker with a watch, it's the same with God. God had a purpose when he created us. He had a meaning. There was something that was very important for him when he started to create us that he wanted to bring out in his created being. He had a mind. And when we are trying to discover what the meaning and the purpose of our life is, we need to go to God and ask God, what the meaning and the purpose of our life was. So we find the value and the meaning of life uh, when we go to the author of life and discover the meaning of life. God has the blueprint. He is life himself. And the Bible, in, in your reading last week, you would have read uh, John chapter 1. That was in your word-wide reading. reading and, and you would have found these words. In him was life, and life was the light of men. I like that. In him was life, and, li- uh, and this life was the light of men. When you come to God, you come to Him, He is life, and in Him is life, and as we come and experience His life, the lights go on inside for us. Something is enlightened within us. We get understanding and we get meaning in our lives. He goes on and says there, there was a man, he goes on and says, In him was life, and life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overpower it or comprehend it. He shines to illumine something within us. So if there's darkness and we don't understand what's going on in our lives, the best place to go is to the light. Now the sad thing, when we we look at chapter 3, it says that men love darkness rather than light. And they didn't want to go to the light because they went to the light. Their deeds were exposed and their deeds were exposed as being evil. So they kept away from the light. They kept out of the light because if they got to the light, then God will expose their heart and show them what's going on in their lives. And that's the big thing. You know, why don't people want to go and mix with Christians? What picture does a Christian have in their minds? Well, you are judgmental because you have rights and wrong. When I started to lecture for uh, the minister's uh, uh, celebration uh, training for the celebrant training. I had an interview with the, the woman who runs the um, runs the organisation, and she, and I and she's a humanist, so she has no value of right and wrong in terms of her values. They they are what they are. Her rights are her rights. Your rights are your rights. And she will quite happily say there are no absolute rights or wrong. It's whatever you make. And just don't hurt anybody. She'll make that one an absolute. As long as you don't hurt anybody. You've heard that one before. Do anything you like, just don't hurt anybody. That's their only absolute. And um, I said, I, 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 if I'm going to write a course for you, and I'm going to write courses for ministers, I, I'm, I, I need to be understanding what you want me to write. Because if you want me to write from a humanistic view, I can't do that. I said, we can stop right now and we, we, we don't have to go any further. She said, I want you to write as if you were preaching a sermon on Sundays. She's never heard me preach on Sundays. <laughs> Scary, eh? <laughs> I said, are you sure? She said, yes. I said, well, I believe people are going to hell. She looks at me, you know, with this look on her face, you said hell. In fact, she took me, after we'd had this first interview, she took me to Sydney. So I went to Sydney with her and I get to meet all the other trainers from around Australia. And then we have to sit down and talk to different trainers. And they... Um, and uh, they had to discover something. We have to ask a question to sort of open something up about the person that you're discovering, you know? It's one of their icebreakers. So I'm sitting next to the 70-year-old gentleman who's a, um, I don't know what he is, he's a celebrant trainer. 
And he says, hi, oh, hi, Mark, you're the first minister on the uh, training thing. I said, yeah, that's me. <laughs> he says, my question to you is, what do you think about homosexuals and homosexual marriage? So that was straight away. He was right on to me. And at that time, and still is today, it was unlawful. I said, it's unlawful. Well, that's correct. It is unlawful. I mean, the law says you can't, it's unlawful. So he says, oh. And then he sort of went a bit sheepish because that was a good answer. <laughs> It was politically correct. <laughs> and I said, do you want to know what I really think? He said, yeah, tell me what you really think. I said, I think that it's a sin. And those who live in those sins will find that there's a consequence for breaking God's law. And I said, and that's what the Bible calls hell. So his eyes just about popped out of his head. <laughs> Because that's not, uh, and, and so now the, now the foot was on his, the shoe was on his foot because then it was time to share with the group the things that you had discovered. <laughs> so he went around, the lady went around and says, okay, and she talk, called him, now what did you discover about Mark? And he sat there and he says, I asked him what he thought about homosexual marriage and he said that it's unlawful. And she, you could see the, the, the director of the company was very upset with that, that question because it obviously pinned it on me, you know. And then he sat quiet. And I said, and I discovered that this man is a coward. And he looked at me and I said, tell him what I really think. And so he turned around and he said, and he really thinks and believes that. And he told the whole story. And then I watched everybody else in the room. It was my day. <laughs> you see, look, our society, I'm telling you that because light needs to shine in darkness. And if you don't want to come to the light, you can go and run and you can play a game somewhere else. Yeah, that's fine. But you'll usually hide. When truth is to there, people don't want to know what the truth is. They, they want to be living in their own deception and living in their own place saying their own thing, doing their own thing and thinking that no one's going to judge them. And don't you stand up and judge this ugly Christian. Well, I want to say something to you. You have a conscience and your conscience speaks to you every minute of the day. If you've got a good conscience, God will lead you and direct you in the path that is right. If you have a bad conscience, the lights are out, friends. You'll do whatever you want. Keep a good conscience before God. Amen? So God is in control. Let me, let me just lay down some scripture for you so, so that you understand that God is in control. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 21 says, Many are the plans of a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So you can, you can plan as much as you like. God has a purpose and he will prevail. That's wonderful, isn't it? Because sometimes we can get ourselves into a situation and we plan something and it goes bottom up and we think, oh, it's disaster. Everything is broken now and it's all fallen apart. I want to tell you something. Nothing falls apart in God. His purposes will prevail. You might not like it, but he will do what he will do. I like that. It's a good one. Isaiah 46, 10 says, I make known the end from the beginning, from the ancient times. What is still to come, I say, my purposes will stand. I will do all that I please. That's God saying that. Oh, you know, he wrote the beginning. He prompted Moses to write the first books. And then if you're going through chronological... Who's going through first 
Chronicles now. You're reading through First Chronicles now. And the first three chapters, four chapters of First Chronicles are just tedious. You'll find that it says so and so. It starts with Adam and then it starts with uh, his sons and off it goes and it goes right down through all the different sons. You think, when is it going to stop? Maybe just one chapter, two chapters, it still hasn't stopped. This time he's branched off into the Philistines and he's going down the Philistine line and he's going to the Amalek's line. He's going down to all the others apart from the Jews. He's trashing... I'm thinking to myself, why is this important? And you're probably thinking, why is this important? I'll tell you why it's important. Because God has given you a person-by-person indication of where we began right until today. From the very roots of origin, he's telling you where it's begun. And we say, well, this is fanciful. Surely the book isn't... You know, they can go to the Babylonian stones with a car- carved with a, by, by the Babylonians and they can find the same sort of stories and the same sort of people written there validating what we read in the book in Chronicles, validating what we read in Kings and in, in, in Genesis. Those things are archaeological. Every time we dig a hole and pull something out, we don't find something that contradicts the Word of God. We find something that supports the Word of God. This is truth. He is light and he gives understanding and he gives purpose. So he knows the beginning from the end and he's told us how it's going to end, folks. Not, not, not real pleasant. Not real, not real pretty for us. We kind of hope sometimes that Jesus will come and snatch us away. Hey, hey. Let's all vote for the pre-tribulation rapture. <laughs> yeah. But maybe we might get caught in the mid. Are you ready to go through the mid? Well, as long as it doesn't get too hot, Mark. It's not too hot. What if he leaves you till the last, like he did with some of those in China and some of those in the ISIS? They got their heads chopped off and they got burned. And it wasn't like the beginning, it wasn't like the middle, it was like the end for them. What if he leaves you and he lets you get fed to the lions? Will you stay with him? Will you say, your purposes are right? The blood of the martyr is what you called me to do? That's my purpose? That's what you wanted me to do? Are you going to stay there or are you going to quit? Tell me. It doesn't matter when you're going to go. Are you going to quit as soon as the pressure gets on? Well, I don't want to quit. But I hate the pressure. I hate the pressure. Sometimes I feel like Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. You live in Sodom and Gomorrah and it's so filthy around you and you come home and you want to have a wash and you think, oh, it's horrible, it's horrible. Everything around me is horrible. Everything I listen to is horrible. It just assaults you, the continuous assault you. Well, he told you how it's going to finish, and I like that. I like what he's saying. He's going to wrap it all up. Romans chapter 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works together for good of those who, call, who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So nothing, absolutely nothing in your life is, can't be used for God's good and for his purpose. Every single thing that we go through in life, no matter what it is, Jesse, every single thing that we go through in life can work for our good. God can make us stronger because of it and he can lead us and he can give us direction because of it. It can be part of his purpose if you call according to his purpose. And Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, I love this verse because it really says it all for me. People have a problem with the sovereignty of God because they think it overrides their will, you know, or their control. We often think, you know, if I want to find the purpose for my life, what I have to do is sit down and think very hard about it. I have to sort of assess what my inner instincts are like, where my, my giftings are, find out where my giftings are. Let's see if we can find out, you know, uh, the things that I really find that I am skilled in and let's find those things. Let me, let me talk to a lot of people who, who like me and I like them and let them tell me what what I like to hear from about myself so I can get some and let me focus on myself 
And we think that in focusing on yourself, you're going to find some direction for your life. You get yourself all confused because in our society now, we know that young people like this man here will probably change his career 14 times before he reaches my age. That's about it. That's a lot, isn't it? Every five years, you'll have a career change. How many people have had a career change in the last five years? Put your hand up. Yeah. How many have had two career changes in the last five years? How many people don't want to put your hand up because you've got B.O.? <laughs> All right. That's not me. <laughs> all right. It's a bit hard when it's all hot and squeezy, isn't it? You, do I have to put my hand up, Mark? No, you don't have to put your hand up. I like this. Verse. In him, we were also chosen. I like that. Hey, you're chosen. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Everything to the conformity of the purpose of his will. Did you lose your job this week? Were you demoted? Did you, were you bankrupt this week? Did you win a million bucks this week? You wish. So do I. I'm bringing tithing in. <laughs> A tenth enough. <laughs> yeah. Everything is according to his will. Now I want you to go through your mind just very, just very casually and think about the worst things that have ever happened to you in life. Think about the worst things that have ever happened to you in life. Some of you were responsible for those. Some of, the, some of you perpetrated those things and you just got what God said. You, you just got your due deserts because don't, God has not mocked whatever a man sows that shall he also reap. You just, got, you just reaped. You did something wrong and you just reaped. That is part of his purpose. Don't get that? It's the truth. It's the truth. He knows. I mean, he could have stopped it. But he had a plan even in the brokenness. He had a plan. He had a plan even when you, you did things that you, you were ashamed of. He had a plan. He had an idea in his mind. He said, when you come back, Peter, when you restore, you're going to deny me three times and before the cock crows twice. But when you, I've prayed for you, he said, and you're going to come back, he says, and when you come back, strengthen your brothers. Now, what do you think about that? You say, oh, well, I would have rather been John and not denied him three times. There was a plan and a purpose in the denial of Christ. He says, if you, if you are faithless, he remains faithful. He has a purpose in your life. Listen, don't get, don't get knocked around by failure. Don't get knocked around by things that you've done that are, are shameful and you feel like you, you, it's no good, you're not living like you should live. Or, don't, don't, don't be intimidated by the devil and, and live under a weight of condemnation that, that puts you in the ground and buries you and stops you. Get up and stand up and say, even in my failure I can rely on, on the Lord and do something for Jesus. I love what Cheryl said when, he said, when he, she said, I only got a quarter of what, or a half a measure. But that was God's purpose and God's plan. And God had a plan to polish that woman so that she's got ten measures today. You know, you, we often judge ourselves according to other people and compare ourselves with other people and God says to you, don't do that. Come to me. I've got a purpose and I've got a plan for your life. We want to know where the direction of our life is and the purpose in our life. We've got to go to God. Isaiah 45 verses 67 says, the people may know from the rising of the sun and from the, we uh, and from the west that there is none besides me 
I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light, I create darkness, I make well-being and I create calamity. <laughs> you want some calamity in your life? How many, how many votes do we have for calamity this week? You had enough, thanks. You had enough calamity? <laughs> let, a, let a young man bear his yoke in his youth so that when he is old he can have some peace, eh? How many young people want calamity this week? There's nobody likes that, do we? But he says, the Lord says, I create calamity. Why would he do that? He can't destroy his own. He can't smash you and break you to nothing. If he creates calamity, he's creating a boat for you to ride the waves. You'll never drown trusting in Jesus. He can bring a tidal wave, but you'll, you'll gum above it. But he can bring a storm and blow it, and, but you'll stand firm to the end. You know, in my dreams, if you drop me over a precipice, I can fly. I fly in my dreams. If I fall into water, when my head hits that pillow, because I'm always aware that I'm in, in my bed, I can breathe underwater. That's like it is with God. It's like it is in God. It doesn't matter what comes your way. You can fly. and You can breathe underwater because you've got the unconquerable spirit of Jesus inside of you. You'll never fail. He's always there. He can, he can bring calamity to bring people to Jesus. In the midst of calamity, you can shine like a light and win many souls for Jesus. Jesus is in control. Amen. He says, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You can plan it, but the Lord will establish your steps. I like, you know, when they created the temple, they had two great big columns out the outside. One column was Jackson or, thing, or Jason or something, or, and the other one was Boaz, steel uh, brass columns on the outside. And I was doing a bit of reading about them, and it says, one man, the Lord will establish you, and the other one meant uh, the Lord is present with you. And I like that. The Lord is present with us continuously and he will establish us. Turn to your neighbour and say, God is going to establish you. Well, then the question is, how is he going to do that then? The question then is, how is God going to establish you? Well, he does it in this way. He, he is so close to us and he's working with us. He's in the mix. God is not foreign and distant and way up in the clouds and so we look and say, well, when are you going to come down to my situation, God? You know, you've left me, here I am all alone. You, when you read through the Psalms, you read through some of the Psalms, Psalm 77 comes to mind and, and you have David sitting there and saying, where, why have you deserted me? Why have you forsaken me, God? And then halfway through the Psalm, he comes to his senses and says, I will bring back to my mind the things that you've done. And all of a sudden, he encourages himself in the faith and that, that God is present with him. We get in that place where we look and see the calamities hitting and rather than seeing God in the centre in us in the middle of the calamities that we have everything we need for life and godliness to get through this thing, we think God is separated from us and we are all alone somewhere. And that's not the case. This is how he does it. He says, therefore, my dear, bre uh, dear friends, as, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in, in my absence, Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling." And I like these words. It says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good pleasure. God is working in you in order to work and to act for his good pleasure. 
So no matter what goes along, you get in the court situation, God is present there in the midst of you to will and to act according to his good measure. How does that sound and how does that feel? It sounds like a voice of conscience that won't let you go. That nags and nags and nags you. And if you don't listen, God then has a friend of his that he's going to use to prompt you to listen. And if you don't listen to him, he'll probably bring somebody else along. Like Leanne, when she was driving and she was away from the Lord, you remember this, where is Leanne? She was here, there you are. You remember this, you went past that little church. What was on the sign after you had decided to do your own thing? What were you reading on the sign? Yeah, every day you went past and she looked up to this little billboard that the church was putting on the corner, put up there, and every week it changed and every week it stabbed her through her heart. Why? God was working inside of her. Yeah, we didn't see it. She was away from us. But God had not left her idle. He was working to bring her back. Amen? First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I like this one. It says, No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. That means everything is common. Turn around to your neighbor and says, The temptations that you're going through. Are common. Everybody's got them. I know you don't. I know you think I don't. <laughs> you're deceived everybody's got them. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what the pressure is. Everybody has the same sort of stuff coming at them. You can't sit there and say, oh, Jesse might, might say, it's, oh, no one knows what I'm going through. No, I'm a young man. I play the drums and I've got all these good-looking girls looking at me and no one knows the pressures that I'm going through. I want to tell you something. I don't play the drums. But I know... I know the stuff. Any well-bodied man knows the stuff. There's no different. Noel's the same. You thought he wasn't, didn't you? <laughs> He's a man. Thank you, Jesus. You, you thought you'd grow out of it, he says. So that's a worry, isn't it? Every single thing that you face is common. And God says these wonderful things. He says, But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Thank you, Jesus. Just close your eyes and say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you always provide a way to escape. I'm not trying to get out of the temptations, Jesus. Lord, lead me not into temptation, but Lord, I know that when I get there, you will provide a way to escape. Lord, because I'm called according to your purpose. I'm called according to your plan. I'm called to do what you want me to do. Jeremiah 29, 11 says these beautiful words. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Wow! God has a plan for you, to give you a future and a hope. And you might say, well, it's hopeless and my future is, and I'm just going to die now. Well, you have a future and a hope in heaven. Amen? Amen. It's just about to open up. You're just about to go through the door and it's just about to shine on you. You're going to see everything your heart that ever desired is going to be right there. Jesus will stand and he put his arms out and say, Come to me, my beloved. It's just about to begin. Death is the beginning of eternity with Jesus. Amen. Eternal life has already begun. We'll just enter into our home when we get there. In Philippians 
chapter 1 verse 6, and I love this verse. I love this verse. It gives me some sense of confidence because sometimes I, I, in the midst when I've hit it, my head against the wall a couple of times and the blood's running out of my nose and I think to myself, I'm going I'm to die before I get there. I'm not going to be able to get to the end, Bruce. Because sometimes it gets pretty hard and I said to myself, you know, will I make it? And these words come to my mind. We can be confident of this very thing, that he that has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Isn't that a wonderful encouragement? That Jesus says, I'll take you right through, I'll look after you, just recognise that I've been co- you've been called to the plan and the purpose. You have a meaning, you have a purpose in your life. And when I want to know what the meaning of my life is, who's in control? Jesus. I go to life to get life. Life came from life. It's impossible for life to come out of nothing and to come out of material object. Life has to be gut from life. And the life shines in the darkness and we have light in him. Amen? Amen.